So this morning, um, we just started 2 Corinthians last week, and we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, um, but after one whole week in 2 Corinthians, we're going to take a break, and uh, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 3. So if you would turn there with me, that would be awesome. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. And it says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Ooh, that's rich. This week... We uh, celebrate Father's Day here in our country. Um, Father's Day, I don't know if you guys all know this, it was actually originated in 1910, not all that far from here in, uh, uh, oh, uh, Washington, help me, Spokane, Spokane, Washington. That's where it was originated, and the story of how it actually came about is kind of funny and kind of interesting. There was a gal there, her name was Sonora Dodd. and she was sitting in church at a church that was meeting in a YMCA at the time. So not too dissimilar. And she's sitting there in May at a Mother's Day service. And the pastor's going on and on, oh, moms, 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 like we do. Not knocking, just saying. And she's sitting in there, but here's the deal. She grew up without a mom. In fact, her dad was just an incredible figure. He was a Civil War veteran who raised six children all by himself. It was just a really incredible story, and he was just a great man of God who had just been an incredible figure for her in her life. And at the time, there was somewhat of a crisis with regards to fatherhood in the country, or at least in that area where she was from, and one of the common sayings or understandings about most dads, especially there where she was at, was that dads were just lazy drunks. That's what they were kind of referred to as. So she's sitting in this service at Mother's Day. She's listening to this pastor going on and on and on about mothers. And she's thinking about her own father who had done all these same things for him or for her. And so she came to the pastor another week or so later and she was like, look, I I think we need to do something to represent fathers because this is the kind of father I had. And I know the reputation that a lot of fathers are and there's not even a lot of fathers who even come into our church services, but, but I think we should honor those who are doing the job well who are trusting God and who are doing these things. And also, I think that would be motivating to others that they might understand what it means to be a father and that they would walk in integrity and that they would do these things. And the pastor was like, I am down. Let's do that. Pretty sure they said that in the 1910, somewhere in there. So they pick. When do you want to do it? She gets to pick. So she goes, let's just first Sunday in June, let's do this, Father's Day. 
He's like, all right, I'm down. Said it again. So first Sunday in June was supposed to be Father's Day, but you didn't know that. Do you know why? You go, well, if that's supposed to be Father's Day, why do we celebrate Father's Day on the third Sunday in June? No joke. The pastor didn't get his sermon done in time. And they had, no kidding, he didn't get his special sermon about fathers done in time, and so they delayed the whole service two more weeks, and that started the tradition, Father's Day, third Sunday in June. Now you know, and knowing is half the battle, right? Isn't that a cool, interesting story? So this week, Father's Day comes. Now, I've said this before, different holidays and things. I'm, I'm more of a, let's just go through the scriptures, kind of a teacher. Going topical, especially regarding holidays and events, is always more of a pressure for me, always been a little bit harder for me. And so my plan, just so you guys know today, was to just kind of a little nod to dads, pray for dads, you know, something like that, and then just go on into 2 Corinthians, and maybe we could find a way to take the passage that we're doing in 2 Corinthians. Maybe there'll probably be some sort of tie-in, and we'll apply it to dads. That's what we're going to do. So I started studying and I put a whole outline together. The problem was is like 2 Corinthians, the next section is about suffering and burdens and pain and difficulty. And I thought, well, there could be some application on that, but that's a bummer of a Father's Day message, right? So I don't want to do that. I want to do something different. And so I think that we need to spend some time today talking about fathers. Now, this is important because there is somewhat of a crisis regarding father's, fatherhood in our country right now. And so it's a good thing for us to take some time to stop and talk about. So how best do we go about doing that? Well, one way is we could just bang on dads. We could just talk about what a godly father is and then we could go in with the exhortative, so come on men, stand up and do all this stuff. Thought about doing all that, I've done that before. Um, but even then, that just seems unfair by comparison, because again, Mother's Day, mm, we would never do that at Mother's Day, right? Here's, here's what a godly mother looks like. Now get it together, ladies! Like we would ne- we'd empty church the next week, you know what I mean? Um, so, so I just thought, well, out of fairness with Mother's Day, I'm not going to do that. Um, we're not, we're not going to do any of that. I already think that Father's Day gets kind of a, gets kind of a bum rap in general anyway. Like, for example, um, my daughter is a, in ballet And every Father's Day is the ballet recital. Every Father's Day weekend. I don't know where that tradition came from, but apparently it's a thing. Because then we we changed studios a couple years ago. She's with a different studio. And this week, guess what we've been doing all weekend? Ballet recitals, performances all weekend. And on one sense, you go, oh, that's sweet because all the dads come to the ballet and all that stuff. That's good. It it is, but I'm like, but I don't ever get to go camping for Father's Day, I guess. Or go, you know, so there's always, Father's Day kind of gets, it's not not nearly as big a Hallmark section in the store. Men, you know what I'm talking about, right? Don't let me hang in on this. Father's Day is just sort of a second class holiday. Let's just admit it. So I don't want to just come in here and reinforce that and just beat up on the dads the whole time, though we could do that. I don't think that would be fair. Um, but, but one of the real reasons that I don't want to do that is I've had a little bit of a revelation with regards to fathers um, over the last little season. I, I think there's something else that needs to be understood about fatherhood before we even go to a point like that, before we even jump right into a typical men exhortative message. See, um, it wasn't that long ago, uh, I would say a couple months ago, my wife and I, um, I'd been meeting with several different couples in the church that were going through some different stuff, and we just said, hey, I'll tell you what, uh, a couple of weekends from now, let's get everybody together, you guys all come over to the house, and we're going to go through this little marriage series together just in two nights. We just had a little two-night intensive time focusing on marriage. And one of the nights, or one of the sessions we took in was about um, the father's role as, of leading the household, a kind of a pastor dad. I, I've hinted at this before. We talked about this some, several weeks ago. 
And uh, so he, this guy, he was talking about this teaching we were taking and was talking about the responsibility of a dad, that God's design is that the dad would be the one in the household who's praying with his kids, who's leading his kids, who's teaching the Bible to his kids. Not the way it is most places now where dad brings the kids to church and the church teaches the kids about God, but that this would be the thing where the dad is the pastor, if you will, in his home. That he's the one that's providing for, shepherding, looking out for, teaching the scriptures, praying with. And he was talking about this responsibility. And so we had some time afterwards to discuss this. And we were interacting on some of these things. And, and I asked everybody, and I said, just out of curiosity, there were probably 20 people in the room. I said, just out of curiosity, how many guys here right now, you, you hear all this stuff and you're like, I mean, obviously no one's like nailing it always. We always have room to grow. But how many of you right now in this room would say, I, I'm doing that right now. That's, that's something that, um, that we're really in a good season with our family right now. We're in the word together and we're studying and things are going really, really well. How many people? And it was one hand in the whole room. One hand came up. So we started kind of picking at that a little bit. Okay, l- let's talk about that. What prevents you from doing this? Why don't you? And started talking some more. And, and I asked him another question. I said, let me, let me ask you this way. How many people, male or female, in this room right now can look back at your upbringing and you say, that was my dad. Like my dad was praying for our family. My dad was leading our family. My dad was shepherding our family. I had pastor dad in my home. One person out of all 20 people. And it was the one guy who was doing it now. I, I think that is really uh, enlightening uh, uh, testimony right there. So we started talking about that. And what we realized is that for a lot of men, we can say to them, hey, pastor your families. Lead your families, shepherd your families. But there's a lot of men, they don't even understand really what that means because they've never seen it before. They don't know what it looks like. It sounds like a bunch of Christianese stuff, but it sounds like I gotta, I gotta get a program together, I guess, or I gotta, the only pastor experience maybe they've had is at church and I see this guy leading and so, but I can't really do that at home. I don't know how to do that. And, and there just becomes these difficulties. And, and that's not just for men. That actually affects everyone. There's issues with regards to um, father role models. We are dramatically lacking in that in our culture. Some years ago, I actually did this on a Father's Day message. I went back and revisited an old Father's Day message I did years ago. I kind of freshened it up, if you will, this, not, not the message, but this particular uh, discovery, which is really interesting. Who are the well-known examples of fathers in our culture today? Who are they? The well-known, respected or not, the, the fathers that we know and that we are influenced by, that we see operate, if you will. And so I went just to television alone. Who are the well-known fathers in television? Now, 20 years ago, if you were to say, who are the most well-known fathers in television 20 years ago, I've actually found an actual poll where they did just that. Who are the most well-known television fathers 20 years ago? So we'll just play a little interactive game here. Don't be shy. I'm going to name the character. You're going to yell out the show. You guys ready for this? All right. Number one, Andy Taylor. Andy Griffith's show. Very good. Number two, a little tougher, Jim Anderson. Who's that? Father knows best, right? Number three, Heathcliff Huxtable. Cosby Show. Charles Ingalls. Oh, the ladies. Little house. Little house. <laughs> Ward Cleaver. Leave it to Beaver. Howard Cunningham. Happy Days. Fred Sanford. Okay. <laughs> they can't all be winners, all right? You big dummy. <laughs> All right, so 
Fred Samuel. Those are the seven most well-known fathers on television 20 years ago. Wonder what they are now. I'm glad you asked. I know. Number one is Homer Simpson from The Simpsons. Number two, Walter White from Breaking Bad. If you don't know the show, he's a meth, he, he, he makes meth. Number three, Red Foreman from that 70s show. Number four, Heathcliff Huxtable. He fell a notch, but he's still on the list. Number five, Phil Dunphy from Modern Family. Number six, Peter Griffin from The Family Guy. And number seven, Ray Barone from Everybody Loves Raymond. Boy, that is another telling statistic, isn't it? Think about the role models we had 20 years ago, just on television alone. And look at what we have to choose from now. The most well-known, voted on, these are the most well-known dads that I know out there. I think that tells us a dramatic, a dramatic amount about the state of fatherhood in our country. I think in our culture today, a lot of people don't know what a real godly father looks like. They've never seen it. The culture's not speaking anything to that degree about them. The culture's not teaching them anything about it. In fact, if anything, our television culture especially is teaching them the exact opposite because every show you look at anymore, the dad is a bumbling idiot on television anymore. Just an idiot. Not a pillar or strength or source of wisdom, but a moron to be made fun of. That's what they are on television today. And this it affects way more even than just a, a, a young man who grows up to be a father and how he leads his family as a father. This affects women too because what ends up happening, you guys know this to be true, our interactions with our own father here on earth often have major implications to the way we interact with our heavenly father, the way we approach God. I, I've seen this in countless examples. If, if you always felt like you were a frustration to your dad, then you approaching our heavenly father, you always feel like you're a frustration to him. If, if your real dad abandoned you, then you often feel abandoned by your heavenly father. I've seen this countless times. So what does the Bible tell us about God? Well, here in Ephesians 3, and really one of my favorite prayers in all of Scripture, Paul makes a couple of really strong comments that I think are just amazing. First, he says, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family, or literally fatherhood, from whom every fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. Think about that just a second. Paul says, I bow my knee before the Father, the one from whom every father in heaven and earth is named. In other words, he's the father of fathers. He's the one that everyone should be looking to. Every real dad on earth should be some sort of derivative of the heavenly father. When we look to our own fathers on dad, our responsibility, dad, is to exemplify to some degree, to point to, if you will, the heavenly father. Our relationship with our kids should teach them something about their relationship with their heavenly father. That's the purpose even of the role. So that means God becomes the supreme example. We don't need television to give us great examples of what a father looks like. God has given us that example in himself. He's the father of all fathers. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints 
what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is Paul's prayer. I'm coming before the Father, the Father of all fathers, and my prayer is that you would be given the strength by the Father to understand the height, the width, the depth, that you would understand to some degree the massive amount of love that God the Father has for you. That's Paul's prayer. I think this is a big, big problem for us as a culture. Now, let me explain to you why this is a major revolutionary text here. Seems like just a normal prayer in the New Testament, right? But this is a big deal. Because if you go back in history, no one's ever called God this until just about this same time period. In the Old Testament, God is not referred to as Father ever, except for national Father. He's the Father of Israel, but never on a personal level. Or he's compared to a father, but, but not called a father. There's a difference. It'll say that he pities his children like a father pities his child. And so the idea is, is it's pointing to a father to tell us something about God's character. But nowhere in the Old Testament is God referred to as father. And even that word itself is only given or used in reference to God 15 times in the entire Old Testament. And then the Gospels come and Jesus shows up. And he starts calling God Father. In fact, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he refers to God as his Father 65 times. And in the book of John alone, he references God as his Father 100 times. This had never happened in the history of the world before. You've got to understand, the Jewish people revered the name of God so much, they didn't even speak it. If you get a Hebrew Bible to this day, the Old Testament, when references of the Lord come up, it's just a line. They won't actually even print the name of God because they revere that word. It's too holy to be spoken by human lips. We don't refer to him like that. He's God. Who are we? And then Jesus comes and says, he's Father. That was an absolutely revolutionary thing to say. And the word that he uses is Abba. It's an Aramaic word that means Father. Some people have tried to translate that just a little too far and go into like daddy and, and almost like toy pet names. It's not that. It is father. That's the best way of translating that. But it is used, the only time that it would be used in that culture is when a child, a young child, was speaking to his father. A birth relationship, father. This is what would be done. And that is such, that was such a revolutionary thing that the New Testament writers when you see these translations, when you see their recording of the events in history, many times, as we'll see in just a little bit, when they're even quoting Jesus' words, they will say things like, Abba, Father. You've seen that in the Bible before, right together. Well, it's really unnecessary because Abba is the Aramaic word for Father. And then the next word they put for Father, they use the Greek word for Father. So what they're really saying is, Father, Father. Well, they're trying to emphasize this. Like, no, this is not a typo. He called him Dad. He called him Father. That had never been done in the history of the world. And Jesus says, this is my father. It was so revolutionary. It's one of the things that got him killed. But then to understand that he didn't just claim this relationship for himself. That he extended those same rights and those same privileges and that same ability to us. To say that, that he's your father too. You go, wait a minute. How can that even be? He's not, it's not my father. How can that even be? John 1, 12 says, but to all who received him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is a power-packed verse. It says, to those who believe in Jesus Christ, he has given the power to be called sons, that we become sons of God through our belief in Jesus. And he says, not through the will of man, not through the will of the flesh. It's not something that we earned or clawed our way up to. It's not even something that we in our nature begged for or desired. It was originated by God himself, that God has given you the power to become his son. That is unbelievable. Galatians has an even better passage for this. I think we might have a slide for this. If you can put that slide for Galatians 3 up, it says this. Verse 29, last, last slide in Galatians. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There it is again. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That is, just leave that up for just a little bit. That is one of the more important doctrines, one of the more important scriptures that describes how we as believers in Christ should relate to God in our life. And I think we understand it hardly at all. I think we need to give infinitely more time to this truth. This says that we were slaves to the spirits, the principles of this world. We were slaves to sin. Romans says we were enemies with God, but that God sent his son to be propitiation for our sins, that God takes his only begotten son, he sends Jesus to come into the earth to incarnate himself into our situation He goes to the cross, carries our sin, our shame, so that this gap of separation that we have between us and God the Father because of our sin is bridged by the work of Jesus Christ. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, he says, and now you're adopted. Do you understand how amazing that is? Look, some people have kids when they didn't mean to. Some people have kids accidentally. No one adopts like that. Adoption is done from the heart because I have love for this child. There's someone that's alone that's without a father and I have pity upon this child and I have a desire to be a father to this child and so I'm choosing to adopt them. This is a massive principle that we need to spend more time on. We need to understand the reality of this. J.I. Packer might be the most important theologian of our generation. Um, he's, we probably don't have a whole lot of time left with him. He wrote the book, Knowing God, if you know that book. And J.I. Packer, chapter 19 of his book, Knowing God, is in, he starts the, the chapter out with this one question. He says, what is a Christian? That's a massive question to start a, a chapter of a book out with. What is a Christian? 
And his entire answer to that question is this passage and the doctrine of adoption. And he says this. This is his conclusion in that chapter. A Christian is one who has God as father. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. The truth of our adoption gives us the deepest insights the New Testament affords of the greatness of God's love. It can be summarized by this phrase, adoption through propitiation. J.I. Packer says there's no way you can understand the love of God towards us in any greater way than to study and understand the principle of the fact that he has adopted you into his family. He has made you a joint heir with his son, the perfect son, Jesus Christ. Now, understanding that, look at, look at Paul's prayer again in Ephesians 3. And think about what it is that Paul's saying. He says here, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family or fatherhood in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let me, let me ask you a question that you can use just for your own personal introspection. Does what Paul just said in that text describe your relationship with God the Father? Is that how you approach God? When you pray, when you come to God in worship or in devotion or whatever, when you open God's word, is your expectation that you're interacting with a loving God who has chosen to adopt you before the foundations of the world, whose desire is to give you strength, whose desire is to bless you with power to live through life, to deal with circumstances, and whose greatest desire is that you might continually experience how amazingly massive his love is for you? Or is your experience with God when you come to him in prayer, in devotion, when you open his word, is it more like a, I gotta get my act together. I haven't been there in a while. And God's probably frustrated with me. And so I should pay penance by going to him in the morning. I'll get up early because if I get up early enough, then he'll know that I'm serious about it. And if I'm not serious about it, it's not gonna please him. And I better pray long. I've heard spiritual people do that. And I wouldn't want God to take me less seriously. I need God to approve me. I think that's how a lot of us come to the Lord. Feeling like we have to go through certain steps, jump through certain hoops, even using our devotional time to gain God's approval. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, he's your father. And because he's your father, you can come see him. You can talk to him. In fact, Matthew chapter six, I think we have a a slide for this, if we can put this up. Matthew chapter six, most famous, this is known as the what? Everybody say it, which prayer is this? The Lord's Prayer. It's a bad name for it. It should be the child's prayer. The adopted son's prayer. Our prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer is in John 17. That's when Jesus is in Gethsemane praying out to the Lord. This is our prayer. 
And here, this is a time when the apostles, based on other accounts, other gospel accounts, they come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus says this to him. It's here, Matthew chapter 6. And he says the following. When you pray, excuse me, wrong one, verse 7, verse 9. Pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And if you have the NASB or if you have the King James Version, then it adds on the end, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We all know this, right? Everybody raise your hand. We know this prayer. Everyone knows this prayer really, really well. Now, I have known this prayer since I was a kid. Like I grew up in the Baptist church. I studied, learned, had to memorize it. I went to a Christian school for a while um, and had to memorize this prayer. And I think I'm, I'm pretty much convinced this prayer was taught to me wrong for years and years and years and years and years. It, it, at least was taught to me with the wrong emphasis. And let me explain. The way it was taught to me when I was growing up, and I can still remember this, is that what Jesus has given us here in this prayer is a pattern for how we pray when we go before God in prayer. The disciples said, how do we pray? So Jesus said, well, pray like this. And so this is our form. I understand why they would draw that conclusion. So they go, this is the pattern by which we pray. And so there's a couple of different ways to approach it. There's some that they would say, this is the prayer. We, we pray this. We don't get creative with words. We pray this. And that's where you have churches, especially some uh, longer denominational churches, liturgy, things of that nature. They would say, this is the prayer. But that's not the way I grew up. I grew up in the Baptist church that taught me that this is the formula or, or the outline that we should follow when we come before God and pray. And so this is kind of what it would look like. They would say, okay, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So they would break it down like this. They'd say, okay, here Jesus starts out his prayer in worship and adoration. So when we pray, we should always start with worship and adoration and come to him first. And so that's step one. And then he goes into the next section, which is submission to his will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So we, we talk about God's will in the kingdom of heaven. Then comes intercession. Give us this day our daily bread. We bring our requests to God. That's third step on the list. And then so on and so forth. We go on again to repentance and then close again with adoration. And I was taught, we had to memorize the formula. Like this is the way that you pray when you come to God and pray. This is the formula that we pray through. And so this is how maybe some of you guys do the same thing. That we tend to come through and pray in a very formal, kind of laid out, almost patterned way of approaching God the Father. That's how we pray. I, is that how your kids talk to you? I'm just curious. Because it's the pattern given us, right? The relationship modeled for us is a father and a son. So when your child comes to you, do they go, step one? Oh, father. How, you know, do they do that? No. But I think most of us pray like that. I, I think we feel like we need to go through certain steps, through certain processes, say certain words. Maybe be in a certain place, in a certain mood, so that we want to pray right, so that our, pray, our prayer is heard. But listen to what Jesus says right before he says this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. And do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. 
That sounds a little bit differently, doesn't it? So when you pray, pray like this. And he says, our Father. Our Father. Listen, some people struggle. Prayer is a blessing. It is the, one of the least popular things you can ever talk about in church. It's true. If I said right now we're going to do a prayer meeting later, well, no one would come because it's Father's Day. But if it wasn't Father's Day and I said we're going to do a prayer meeting in two hours, the number of people out of this room that would show up is absolutely minuscule. That's just the truth. And the least popular sermons downloaded on podcasts, books purchased, Christian writing done, is, prayer is always on the bottom of that. And I wonder why that is. I mean, let's just be honest. Sometimes isn't prayer difficult? Isn't it a, a, a discipline sometimes? Don't we feel sometimes like, I, I gotta stop and do this, but I feel like there's things to be done and I don't even know how to say And maybe for some of us, this ties back into the fact that we've never seen some of this stuff modeled for us before. And so we go into things like, okay, then I'll pray and I'll go through these sort of formulas, but here's what I am. I'm convinced of this, okay? I'm convinced that a lot of people struggle with prayer because they make the focus prayer. I think a lot of people struggle with devotional walk with God because they make the focus devotions. I think a lot of people struggle with reading the scriptures because they make the focus reading the scriptures. And, and what they do is you create this religious um, prescription for these are the things we go through. These are the hoops we go through. These is, this is how we relate to God. But the emphasis of this prayer is pretty clear to me. When you pray like this, pray to who? Father. Pray our Father in heaven. And I think we can even take the very prayer that Jesus used to show us how to pray and we can turn it into the kind of religious thing he intentionally wants us to avoid. When Don't we always say, oh, it's not about religion, it's about what? Relationship. And then we can turn around so quickly and run right back to religion even in relating to our Father. He says, I'm a Father. So if, if you want to learn how to pray if you don't learn how to come before God, your Father, to grow in your prayer life, don't look to religion. Jesus specifically says it. When you pray, don't do what all those religious people over there do. Don't do it. When we were in Israel, we saw all sorts of people using religious uh, practices to, to pray to their God or a God, little g, whatever it was they were praying to. You go to the Western Wall and you see the Jewish people there and they're putting the prayer requests in the wall and you, the Orthodox Jews praying and they're rocking back and forth as they pray and different methods and this is what they go. This is their prescribed way that they pray and come before God. And then every so often during the day you hear that, it makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck but the Muslim chant things start and people pray and, and so they go to the mats and they face a certain direction and they're praying to their God in that way. But then you have the Catholic Church which we got to go through the priest or we got to go through the Mother Mary and there's a very prescribed way that we pray there. Certainly not like going to a father. And look, if you want to grow in your walk with God and in your prayer walk, this is what I'm convinced of. Don't look to religion. The example that God gives us for how we relate to God is of a child who has a dad that adores them. That's the relationship model given us for how we come to God. And so those of you that are parents, consider, think about the fact, how you relate with your kids. My, my youngest daughter, Allie, she's seven now. She's kind of grown out of this. But um, she had this interesting way of asking for stuff. Like she would come to us and if we were in a store and she saw something she wanted or if we're at home, she wants a popsicle, something like that, she would never ask for it. What she would do is she would go, ah, sure wish I had a hot popsicle. 
And if we didn't hear, <sighs> sure wish I had a popsicle. And I'll just be honest, it was so annoying. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was manipulative and just annoying and all this kind of stuff. And, and, but here's what she was doing. Listen, she did not have confidence that I was going to give her a popsicle, which might be rightfully so at times, but she had no confidence that I was going to answer the request. And she was afraid to come right out and ask because she thought I'd say no. And so she was taking little, maybe manipulative, maybe just cowardly, whatever you want to call it, ways around that rather than just, and we finally were just like, honey, will you please stop? Just ask. You can ask us anything. Just ask. Can I have a popsicle? No. Now go on. (laughs) Maybe at times, look, a loving father doesn't give his child everything they want all the time, right? But we do try to say yes more than we say no. But But you would see this thing in this relationship. And here, I'm her dad. And I'm telling her, I don't want to relate to you through weird, manipulative, peripheral things. I want you to come to me and say, Dad, I want a popsicle. Can I have a popsicle? I want one too, honey. Let's go have a popsicle. Our Father, who art in heaven. And I think about the ways that my kids communicate with me. Even my my oldest daughter, now Hannah, she has no problem asking. In fact, her thing is she asks billions of questions. That's what she does. So Hannah's never been one to like play with toys a lot and things like that. If I'm out in the yard working, working on a, uh, um, I don't work on a car, I use mechanics, but I don't know, (laughs) mowing the lawn, whatever the case may be, whatever I'm working on, she's right there. It doesn't matter what toys you've got, she wants to be right there with you and she has a million questions. Why are you doing that? When are you doing that? How come you're doing that? Why is this happening, dad? Are you going to do this next? Are you going to do, but think about this. Now think about this from the relationship of a child to a father and think about your relationship with God. Why are you doing that? What are you going to do next? Can we just hang out? Can we swim after this, Dad? Will the pool be ready? Will that hurt if that happens? And just all of these questions, when you stop and think about the relationship of a child to a father and then you think about the way we as Christians are adopted into the family of God, don't we ask some of those questions sometimes? God, why is this happening? What's going to happen next? Why are you doing it this way? Why won't you let me do that? Why does this hurt? Isn't it the same? But we put a choir robe on it and try to make it a little bit fancier. Or we go into the King James trance. (laughs) Right? You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Have people over for dinner and you're like, everybody's there. Hey guys, let's get together, man. This this is gonna be I'm so glad you guys came over, man. My wife just killed it on the barbecue stuff. And it's just gonna be amazing. We're gonna have fun. We'll play some wiffle ball. Let's pray. Hold hands, you guys ready? Our Father, we beseech thou. That I, I've seen people do that kind of before and I'm just like, he just got possessed by the ghost of St. Peter. So I'm like, what is going on? And th- but this is what I think. I think we run to religion still. I think we feel we need to pray a prescribed way. We need to do it a certain fashion. We need to show a certain amount. Of, and I'm not talking about disrespecting God. Do not misunderstand me. But I'm talking about the fact that the scriptures say he's our father. And that the words he uses to describe that are very personal words. Our Father. So consider this prayer from that angle. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you realize how horrifying a prayer that, just that part right there alone could be? What if God's a tyrant? 
You're praying, God, may you do whatever you want. May your kingdom rule over everything. What if God's a bully or a tyrant? No, he's a father. And as Paul prays later, a father whom desires to show us how much he loves us. So we can pray that with confidence. As Hebrews says, we can go boldly before his throne. We can pray with confidence. Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. You're my father. He goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread. That's an old te- or a New Testament way of saying, can I have a popsicle? I mean, it's not that much different. God, can you give me the provision that I need? May you be my sustenance. I need, and those are what those requests are. I don't have something and I'm coming to my father in hopes that he will give me that which he is offering. Continues on. Forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. I mean, if God is just a judge only, that's a pretty presumptuous prayer. I messed up. God, forgive me. Creator of heaven and earth who defines and desires nothing but holiness, I blew it. Please forgive me. But we're not coming before the judge. We're coming before our Father. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, protect me. Guide me, deliver me. These are the prayers of a child to his father. This is the role of a father for his child. Is it not that we would provide for our children, we would protect our children, we would guide our children, we would forgive our children? Suddenly, the whole thing, this is what I'm getting at. Here's the point I'm trying to make. I've even been talking with some guys even this week about devotions and about spending time with God. So for many of us, we haven't had a great example of a father. We don't know what that's like. We read the scriptures, it says he's our father. The scriptures make it really clear God desires that we spend some time with him. He wants us to come before him, but we can treat our relationships with our heavenly father so dramatically different than we do with our earthly fathers that we're gonna go jump through the hoops now. And so I have to go spend time with him to appease him. I need to be able to spend devotional time this morning with God because he demands it and I I need to make him happy I need to make sure he approves of me. I need to earn his favor. Or I need to pray because something big's coming up and I'm not convinced it's gonna go well, but if I pray right, maybe God will answer my, re- my prayers or my requests. And we can take even our relationship with God and spin it right back into religion like that because it is our default setting to just make everything about, okay, I will earn this approval. I will make my devotional time with my father work instead of just enjoying time with my father. I mean, they even did a survey today. I think some dads were lying, but they did a survey this weekend. What do most dads want for Father's Day? And far and away, the number one answer was, I just want to spend some time with my family. Okay, translate that. Do not the scriptures talk about this all the time, about wanting to spend time? We were even designed to walk with God in the cool of the day, were we not? So what makes us think that we have to somehow clean ourselves up, jump through certain hoops, earn our way into the presence of God? Why do we turn prayer into a chore? Why do we turn devotions into another religious task? There's a big difference between that and just spending time with your dad. Falling into the arms of the father who loves you. But you see, that's the problem. That's why Paul prays that in Ephesians 3. About I want you to understand the width, the depth, the breadth, the length of the love that God has for us. See, that's what the real root of it is. We don't fully understand and believe the love that God has for us. I think most of us feel like we just frustrate God. 
Truth be known, most of the time, most of us feel like God is someone to appease regularly. And we don't fully understand or trust or run to the scriptures that talk about the fact that he has granted us his complete favor, that he desires you. Listen, you, follower of Jesus, God has no reservations whatsoever about choosing you. Do you realize that? He's never had a moment of regret about making that decision, ever. And and even in the times that we've failed him most, that's when Romans 5 tells us that's when he came and died for us. But we have a hard time believing that. And I shared this on a Wednesday night some time ago, but Garrison Keillor, American author and kind of humorous short stories and things, told a story about, maybe this was some of our experiences, especially maybe guys growing up, Ever been picked like last in sports before? Macho dad's in here, not me. Always first, liars. But he tells a story about this, about about what it felt like to be picked last. And this is what he said. So they chose the popular ones first, and now the choice is hard because we're all pretty much the same. Not so hot, and then we're down to the last grudging choices. A slow kid, he can play catcher, Someone to stick out in right field where nobody hits it except maybe two guys. And when they come to bat, the captain sends the poor right fielder to left. That's a long walk. They choose the last ones two at a time. All right, you and you, because it really makes no difference. And the remaining kids, the scrubs, the excess they deal as if they're handicaps. All right, I'll take him, but then you got to take him. Sometimes I've gone as high as sixth usually lower, just once I'd like Daryl to pick me first. To say, him, I want him. The skinny kid with the glasses and the black shoes, I want him. But I've never been chosen with much enthusiasm. Is that your experience or your understanding of your relationship with God? I'm on his team. He made some promises in the Bible, so he sort of stuck with them. But I'm the guy at the end of the list. I've never really been chosen with much enthusiasm. If that's you, Paul is praying for us in Ephesians that we would understand, that God would give us the strength and the ability to understand the reality of his love for us. Because that is most people's experience in church. That is most of our experience. Many, many people still come to church because they feel like we need to do something to appease the one that got stuck with me. It's the reality of it. And so in 1 John 4, it says this. So we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in him abides in God. A Christian is one who has come to know and believe the love God has for him. God loves you. Do you know that? Yeah, I know that. Do you believe that? I'm like always. And I don't mean like he loved you and so he put Jesus on the cross, but now he's sort of frustrated with you and he's wanting you to earn a certain measure so you can prove that it was a risk worth taking. Or does he love you now, forever, and always? Because look, we struggle with this, and, and here's what we got to do. Our job as Christians, I'm almost done. Try, hang with me, this is important. Our job as Christians, John says, is that we have come to know and believe the love of God. 
So if you don't understand and know, or if you're in seasons of life where you're doubting and not understanding the love that God the Father has for you, then our, we need to learn to do that. But listen, where you look for that understanding makes all the difference in the world because your tendency will always be to look inside, to try to find a reason inside you that proves you're loved by God. And that's a huge problem because when we are honest and we look inside, all we find are reasons God should not love us. And so it causes frustrations and depressions and misunderstandings and we never come to love, understand, and believe the truth that God loves us because we took our eyes off the cross. Romans says, our love, God's love for us has been demonstrated to us that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That makes all the difference in the world. If you keep looking inside, if you keep looking inside, this is why God loves me, because I this and this and this and this and this. You will not find it. You will find frustration, disappointment, and sin. But when we look to the cross of Jesus Christ, we are reminded, no, he loves us with a love I cannot possibly fathom. We have been chosen with great enthusiasm. When you understand the lengths through which God went to adopt you, you weren't last. You weren't the handicap thrown in on the end. He didn't get you as like a player to be named later in some sort of sports deal. You were the target of the mission of Jesus Christ because God loves you. Do you know that? Dad, that's the love that we are called to model to our kids. And if we're not going to the cross and understanding God's love for us, we have zero shot at ever pulling that off. And I'll tell you what will happen. Our kids will grow up feeling the same way. Our kids will learn things like conditional love. They'll learn things like performance-based love. And we won't, we won't be able to teach anything else because it's what our heart sinfully drifts towards but when we look to the cross of Jesus Christ and we see the grace that says I love you no matter what that is the love that the Holy Spirit desires we understand that is the love that we are tasked with giving to our children and so who's the great role model for fathers for us who's the one that we look to that we go that's my example whether you were born without a dad whether you had a bad dad even if you had a good dad the ultimate the father of fathers is God the father himself but, but he's your father. He's your father. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to teach you. He wants to grow you. His plans for you are good. He says, I will withhold nothing from you that is for your good. He says, my plans for you are to give you a future and a hope. Good, not evil. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. He promises you a future with no pain, no disappointment, no sin, no death. All of those things are yours when God is your father. But apart from the work of Jesus Christ, he's not your father. It is only through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross that that adoption is made possible. Because it is the righteousness of the Son, the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is put upon our shoulders. His sacrifice is what paves the way for us to come. His righteousness is the one that we are robed with so that when God does look at us, we are acceptable. We are accepted because of the work of God. 
And so apart from Jesus Christ, we're left outside that door. But the good news is, the scriptures over and over, you see passages where Jesus looks at people and it says he pitied them as sheep having no shepherd. He's into adoption. And anyone who's into adoption, ask my wife, ask people that have done this before. When they hear stories about orphans, their heart instantly goes, oh, and it breaks. There's some kids that we did foster care for not long ago, and they just ended up on, on the news recently on one of those Wednesday's child things because now they're available for full adoption. But because of the, just the dynamics of our household, we don't have a place where we could keep them long-term like that. But we struggled over that decision. Like, what can we do? Can they live in a tent? Like, how can we figure this out? We, these kids need a home because our heart is so inclined towards them. And listen, that's the heart of the father towards you. He loves you. So this is my challenge to you. Dads especially, but everyone, listen. Go before God, but evaluate how you do that. When you go before God, when you read God's word, when you pray, are you just doing another religious check, I did that, check, I did that, or is your motivation to spend time and to enjoy God? Not to appease him, but to enjoy God the Father. Because I assure you, that is his heart towards his children. Amen? Will you guys stand with me? I want to pray a minute. If you guys would humor me here with all our heads bowed and all our eyes closed, just in light of that reality that apart from the work of Jesus Christ, the scriptures say those who believe in him have been given the power to be called sons of God. And so if you're here today and you've never given your heart over to Jesus Christ as your Lord, you've never believed in him who he is, you've never trusted in his work, listen, you're outside the family. I hate to tell you that, but it wouldn't be loving to tell you anything else. Apart from Jesus's Christ, Jesus Christ's covering in his redemptive work, you are outside of that. But the good news is, is that there is a God who is way into adoption, who desires to save, who desires to, through the work of his son, bring you into the family. And so the reality of, of it is this, we have sinned against God. We have rebelled against our Father. We have not honored our Father's will. We have walked away from Him time and time and time again. And the Scriptures say the wages of sin is death. But that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so God sent His Son Jesus, His only Son, sent Him to be hung upon the cross for our sin. And on Jesus, He poured out all of the wrath for our failures and our sin. All of them. And so now He says... Through the resurrection of Jesus, three days later, defeating sin, proving he is who he says he is, Jesus is now ascended to the Father where the scriptures say he intercedes. In other words, he prays for us there. Like a good dad, he stands up for his kids and he is there. Those of us who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what the scriptures say. And so if you have never made that decision, I wanna give you opportunity to do that even right now, to say, I, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ, his son. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that Jesus rose again from the dead, that Jesus is coming again as he promises. I'm repenting from my sin. I'm a sinner. I have fallen, but God is good, and I desire that Jesus Christ would be my Lord and Savior. 
We're gonna do that today just through the symbolic act, if you will. If that's your prayer in your heart, will you just raise your hand right where you are? All heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. I know, dads, pride, all that stuff, but listen, this is a big deal. So if you need Jesus this morning, will you raise your hand right now where you're at? You have a father who loves you. And what about you dads? What an awesome responsibility we have. Because we kind of glossed over it, but the responsibility to model God, to exemplify God the Father to our kids, huge responsibility. And so for those of you that would just say, man, this is, this is for me. I, I, I need help with this. I need to grow in this. I have neglected that responsibility. I have handed off that responsibility. I've not been aware of that responsibility, but I need the grace of God, not only to cover my failures, but to give me the ability to move forward in this. If that's you, will you join with me in raising my hand? Let me pray for you guys. God, I thank you for these men that are here. And I pray, God, that they would be so aware of your grace. Lord, you have graced us in our failures, and there is grace, Lord, to sustain us moving forward. I pray, God, for every man here, Lord, that there would be a greater and deeper understanding of the love that God has for us. I pray that, Lord, as well for every woman and child, Lord, that we would all, as Paul's prayer for us says, that we would understand the breadth, the width, the height, the length, the love of God in Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that you would give these men the strength to do this. It's a lot of work being a dad. It's difficult to come home from eight, ten hours on a job and to not just sit, rest, check out. But, Lord, it's, it's work. I pray, God, that you would give them the strength to endure just as you did your own son. I pray, God, you would give them a heart for their kids just as you have for us. But Lord, out of all of those things, I pray that more than anything, we would grow to an understanding of your love for us. So God, help us to know and understand more your love for us. God, help us to grow in that understanding, Father. Help us to believe it. We know it. Help us to believe it. And I pray, God, that you would just bless your kids. That you would protect them, lead them, guide them, that they might... Be fully aware of the reality that you never abandon your children. You never leave nor forsake us. That you provide for your children. You save your children. You sustain your children. You forgive your children. You encourage your children. You discipline your children. You protect your children. You provide for them. God, we are so thankful that you are our loving Heavenly Father. We are so thankful for the grace that you have shown us. Will you guys sing with me? I have a father, he calls me his own, he'll never leave me, he'll never leave me, no matter where I go, he knows my name. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear. He sees each tear that falls. 
and he hears me when I call. Sing that again. He knows my name. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls. And he hears me when I call. And Lord, may you hear us as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day, guys. Have a great day, dads. Go spoil dad. Let him hang out, watch the ball game, whatever you're going to do. Have a great day. And hey, listen, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, be here. God bless. Love you.